What we're trying to do with a great taste is that to us, it's Christmas Day. We're putting on Christmas Day. Christmas Day doesn't happen on the 23rd, and it doesn't happen on the 26th unless you're a kid of divorce, okay? But <laughs> it happens once a damn year, and that's these guys take that very seriously, and we take that seriously. When we're inviting you into our house, this is Christmas Day. We're all going to, you know, we're all going to share a beverage. We're going to have some convos, and we're going to actually sit around and talk to each other, and we're going we're, we're gonna to make this an even more special day. Stumbled on into the Tap Takeover podcast. Every second Saturday in August, a magical event takes place at Olin Park along the shores of Lake Mendota in Madison, Wisconsin. This event draws craft beer connoisseurs from across the country and droves of Wisconsinites who camp out overnight for tickets during Madison Craft Beer Week. Organized and run every year by the Madison Craft Brewers and Tasters Guild, Great Taste of the Midwest is a quintessential craft beer festival. As it enters its 32nd year, it stands as the second longest running beer festival, consistently ranks among the top 10 beer fests in the country, and has Midwest breweries breaking out their best beers every year. Today on the Tap Takeover podcast, we are talking to Jason Walters, Chairman of Great Taste of the Midwest, and Fred Swanson, Head Brewer Liaison for Great Taste. Gentlemen, welcome to the Tap Takeover podcast. Thanks, appreciate it. Thanks so much for having us. Awesome. So before we dive right in, we would like to give a special thank you to our friends of the show, Otto Hathaway and Dean at Ale Asylum for hosting us today. Now, as we like to do on the podcast, we are going to put some voices to the names for today's episode. This is Andy. And this is Alex. This is Jim. Jesus. Jason. And Fred. So to get us started, why don't you tell us a little bit about the Madison Craft Brewers and Tasters Guild. How did you guys start, and when did you guys first form? It was more than 32 years ago because this group met and was a very small contingent of like-minded folks for a number of years before we started um, The Great Taste of the Midwest. So roughly 35-ish years ago, and for years, decades in fact, there were only dozens of us, a couple dozen at the most, until just in the last 10 to 15 years, our club has grown to over 400 individuals, many of whom were first introduced to us through their volunteer activities at The Great Taste, and then through subsequent homebrewing, they're like, you know, we should just join this club and help out more than we already do one time a week. We can help push this whole thing forward, this group, and all the other things that we do during the year. So take us back to your roots. How, how did it actually form? We had, and Jason, correct me if I'm wrong, but we had a small contingent of folks that were very impassioned by the first breweries on the scene, most of which are not around anymore. Right. Um, but but a few who have stayed the course and are still around. Capital Brewery being first and foremost. Berghoff has been in and out, um, mostly in. And we have been very, very focused on presenting those beers that we all first enjoyed and loved to anybody in the Midwest that would give us the time and the ticket money. <laughs> because there were years when we didn't have people camping out. We were selling tickets up until the day before. We still had availability. So, you know, this thing, this recent phenomenon of us is, is within the last 10 to 12 years where we've kind of blown up. Before that, it was craft beer was under the radar, as we all know. You know, there were, there were a handful of breweries in the state. There were a handful of breweries in the country. Um, we started one of the first beer festivals ever after the Great Taste. I mean, Great American Beer Festival. Great Taste is second in North America. So after that, it just became, you know what? There were 12 breweries that first year. Can we get 13 next year? Can we get 15? 
So that's kind of how it's, you know, slow growth. It's a volunteer-run organization. Jason, what did I miss? Well, I think a lot of the early guys, um, you know, had traveled uh, probably to Europe and tried, you know, great, great European beers. And like the classic story, they came back home and they couldn't, they couldn't get those flavors that, uh, that they found overseas. So the best way to do that at the time was to make your own. So they started homebrewing. They got a group together, you know, more and more in the word of the mouth, and it just kind of grew from there. And then, you know, a few years later, after experiencing the Great American Beer Festival, a couple of our members then decided to do something here in Madison, and uh, here we are 32 years later. So uh, having been to Great Taste of the Midwest um, and, you know, having the the event at Olin Park, I I can't really imagine having it anywhere else. I mean, it's such a beautiful uh, event, uh, such a beautiful space with, you know, the lake to look at as you're sipping on your beer. Uh, Has it always been at Olin Park or uh, where did you guys start out? Uh, It hasn't. And Fred can give a little more background on where it was. But, you know, I appreciate your, you know, your your observations of that park. I I always describe it as a as a as a party on the on the sloping hillside um, under 100 year old oak trees on on the lake shore looking at the capital skyline. And I can't imagine it anywhere else. I know that it's a big draw for our event, just just having it in the crown jewel of the Madison Park system. So but I think Fred can talk more about Law Park and some of the other venues. We started in Turner Hall, and there's tends to be a Turner Hall in a lot of major metropolitan areas. I know there's one in Milwaukee. Our Turner Hall is no longer around. It uh, it uh, went the way of being torn down after a fire. Then we went to the warehouse area of the Capitol Brewery, which you can still go to, and it was a very small event there. It was indoors for a number of years, and then it went to a place called Olin Terrace. And it was at Olin Terrace for six or eight years. And imagine this, before the Monona Terrace was built, and in between the state office building at One West Wilson and the Madison Club, there was a park. And there was a fence and a gorgeous wall that was brick and stone in nature that overlooked John Nolan Drive. Now it is the walkway from the Capitol to Monona Terrace. And there is no drop-off to John Nolan Drive. There was a fountain in that area, and we overlooked the same lake, just from a different vantage point. What didn't work for us was when that park went away. Also, in hindsight, what shouldn't have worked for us was the fact that there were parking ramps right across the street (laughs) from that event. And when I got involved, it was as a patron, and I looked at one of the organizers, and I said, I think I've got an idea for you guys watching everybody walk over there. And I thought, you know what? We need to put it intentionally at a place that gives us this same feel, but has no parking. And if it has parking, we're going to put breweries in there. Okay? (laughs) Our patrons will be encouraged to use shuttles, take shuttles. We will subsidize cab rides. And we will make sure that the neighborhood chooses not to allow you into the neighborhood because they put their cars there. So we have that at at, uh, Owen Park now. We didn't have it at Owen Terrace, but this history of ours overlooking Lake Monona still survives for almost 25 years. We had just a few years somewhere else, and then it went outside right away to Owen Terrace. It's always interesting when the Great American Beer Festival comes. Uh, they always come every year with different people because they want to showcase our relationship and our friendship because you know we like to invite them here, and they invite us to their event. And they always have the same question. What do you do if it rains? Oh, you get wet. It's Wisconsin. Okay? Carry an umbrella or get pants wet. So it's just that simple. And, and it's people forget that let's not overthink it. If we get outside, we get wet. You can go under the table, you know, underneath the tents, you can dry off, etc., etc. But we really hold 
that place sacred, mostly because we operate out of that as if it was our living room. And we, we tell each other that you say two words to brewers when they come to Madison for that weekend. You say, welcome home. And we say, welcome home judiciously, because we want people to know that Owen Park is our house. And that area where we put on the event is our family room. And you're our family, and we don't want you to be anywhere else on the second Saturday in August. So welcome home. So you'd mentioned early on that uh, you had to kind of really reach out to breweries to and encourage them to be part of your festival. That's probably not the same case uh, today. So uh, how do breweries become a part of the Great Taste? It was less than eight years ago, six, eight years ago, that we were still calling people in August, trying to fill up those last spots because we knew what our tent size was. We know how to divide by six for six-foot tables, so we knew who could fit under those tents. We knew who was going to put on a big show, and we knew who was going invite, to invite questions by saying, you know, we want to be outside a tent because we want to decorate this way. So we knew all that. We couldn't fill them up six or eight years ago. And then after the first downturn in the craft beer industry, things started to uptick, and suddenly we had a wait list. And then it was a wait list of 10 or 12, then it was a wait list of 50. Now we've got a wait list that exceeds our attendee list. So our attendee <laughs> list is uh, somewhere near-ish 200. Our wait list is close to 250. It might be a 250 today because we still have people coming in on a daily basis requesting to be in. So, so that is a follow-up question, I'm sure. But we have more people on our wait list today than we currently do on our attendee list. So uh, with the popularity, can brewers share table? And when you decide to let someone in, what, what's the criteria for uh, what breweries you let in? There's well, no criteria. Right. And, and we've, done, we've done shared tables. You know, it's for, for uh, some of our brewer friends to, to bring their friends who, uh, who haven't attended before. And over the last few years, we've made some incremental uh, increases, the number of first-timers that we've had. You know, seeing, seeing the longer and growing uh, list that we've had of, of, of wait lists, of folks waiting to come in, uh, we have changed our, our procedure this year. So we've incorporated a brewer lottery uh, for, for the vast majority of our, of our spaces. Uh, you know, our, our longtime attendees have, have understood why we're doing it, and we wanted to make that fair. But we also really wanted to get some new breweries, and we wanted to give the new guys a chance. And I think we've accomplished that. We're just communicating with breweries actually right now. Today. And, right, today, in fact. And we are we're, we're increasing the number of first-timers this year, and I'm really excited about that. So and to answer your question further on how do you get in, this has never been an invitational event because it wasn't started that way. It wasn't started as a competition. It wasn't started as a best of show, patrons vote, who's got the best beer, who's got the craziest beer. The only award we give out is best table display. Okay, And that came out one year when Wild Onion decided to sleep at the Old Inn on the Park, which is right in the square, go to the farmer's market that morning, buy every variety of onion, and pile them six feet high on their table and just be <laughs> silly. And I thought there ought to be recognition for guys who you know do more than just a banner and sell t-shirts and glassware. So we did that. Now we've got you know dozens of breweries that vie for the coveted trophies um, that we give out uh, once a year. So we try not to take ourselves too seriously. I and Jason and the, the guild try not to be the arbiters of what's good, what's cool, what's hot, what's new in the industry, because we're not our patrons. And if I become that arbiter and that kind of designator of what comes in, um, then we've kind of lost sight of who we're serving. Um, because we've got you know 6,000 tickets that we sell, and trust me, there are not 6,000 geeked out folks in that crowd. <laughs> there might be 600, but there are 5,400 other people okay, that just appreciate the endeavor. So with that said, you know, I want a wide variety of stuff that's there. And, and we need to just honor our roots in doing so. 
So how does the, the best themed booth contest work? Is there any set rules for it, or do they just come up with their own themes? And then what are some of your favorites um, throughout, the, throughout the years for themes? The booth contest is hilarious because there are there's one every year there's one of us that's either an interior designer or somebody that's got some skin in that game. My daughter has done it for years. She's an interior design. She's helped to judge that. A bunch of other folks and wives. So we get six or eight people, and literally it's go around, spend an hour, write down the people that you took note of that spent extra time, and then we'll argue it down to three. One clear winner, and then two honorable mentions. And everybody gets excited, and you'll go around the Midwest, and you'll see these um, trophies on display in people's back bars at their places. <laughs> yep. It's hilarious. And then they get a medal. They get to wear that all day. And be, you know, people that don't understand that we're not just being irreverent and being kind of, you know, we're, we're not we're not being ironic. We are we are literally honoring somebody for the best table display. It kind of came out of um, and my one of my favorites was when Omar up at Surly decided that he was going to enter the competition. But Omar, being Omar, decided God August fifteenth is move day in Madison. It's college move day. All I have to do is drive around with a couple pickup trucks, pick up all this crap off the side of the road, make it college dorm room as the theme, throw it together, and then return it all to the isthmus at the end of the day. It cost zero, and it was hilarious. In the middle of college dorm room, he also made a hookah out of a half barrel, which had like 12 hoses, which was hilarious. Okay, so Omar caught some uh, attention that year. You know, the guys that did Gilligan's Island themes, the folks that do you know the teacup theme with uh, you know the the rabbits and the fairy tale themes. We had Elvis performing, Elvis performing. Uh, mock wedding ceremonies. We've had a, a beer drinking fountain, the beer blur, the beer blur. <laughs> so I mean, there's just a lot of crazy cool stuff. Burlesque dancers. One year we had to explain away the Blues Brothers mobile blues came up, and uh, guys from Goose Island caught it, got us into a little bit of hot water when they brought up amplified music in a band, which we didn't know about. Behind but chicken wire. Behind chicken. <laughs> Wire, which we film. also didn't nice. know that the actual Blues Brother Mobile, one of them, was on. You know, so that was kind of cool. We come to the Great Taste, and they had tons of photo ops. So there's been a lot of people who have far exceeded their little <laughs> tiny check that we give them in their endeavors. I mean, literally, there are breweries right now, and it's mostly the corner. So if you think in your mind, who's typically on a corner of a Great Taste? Those are the people that really take the the you know kind of decorating and going all out seriously. And there are meetings at Bell's in New Holland, okay? There, there are meetings about what our theme is and keeping it quiet and calling Fred and saying, you're sworn to secrecy, right? <laughs> so that's kind of where all that comes from. You know, people take it. It's, it's fun, but it's also kind of serious. Bo- boxing ring. We, had a, a, we boxing had a boxing ring, ring a few ring. years ago. We, yeah, there, th- these breweries come up with some creative ideas. We had Freaky Jesus in a pulpit uh, yes, with, with, a te- with a draft beer system <laughs> dispensing, we scary, dispensing rock scary Rockstar Jesus from the pulpit. <laughs> Watching Dark Horse build an entire altar and pulpit starting at about 9 a.m. on Saturday was one of the coolest yep. things because these guys, were they had no plans, okay? They just had a sawzall. Bunch of wood, <laughs> some power tools, and all of a sudden they looked up and I'm like, oh, and there's a guy who looks a lot like Jesus, for you know, performing weddings and passing out beers. That was cool. I'd say through the years too, some some of your patrons actually get into it and dress up in costumes too when they oh, come. Oh sure, we've got you know, there's always later hosen and dirndls, but we've always got the uh, you know the classic pretzel necklaces. Uh, you know, you got to have some snacks. We see the meat stick and cheese. 
string cheese necklaces. My, my personal favorite were the puffy Cheetos uh, necklaces. So on their way in the front gate, there was a group of six people with horribly orange stained shirts just walking into the event. So I can only imagine how those went throughout the day. But yeah, snacks around the neck is always good. awesome if it rained that day. <laughs> uh, so now with your new system, when is that brewery list finalized? It's already uh, finalized. It just came out uh, less than 48 hours ago. So okay. people have been notified, people that were in, and, and, and we make no bones about it. We had to do something. I did a straw poll of people that were um, above the judicious line that we drew in the sand, uh, below the line, and then people on the wait list. And everybody to a person, there were close to a dozen people that I just straw polled. Everybody got it. Nobody said, God, you know, screw you guys. I'm done. I'm out. Everybody said, God, I just hope I get in. But if I don't, I understand because other people can get in. Every year, last year it was Bruce, this year it's Mark. Every year, anybody that works on this liaison team with brewers makes it very clear that if this is the year you need to take a year off and step aside so that one of your fellow brewers who's on that way was for many years can get in. And this year, a number of people took it seriously. I'm not going to say who's not coming, but I will tell you, they will be missed and you will notice who's not there this year because they collectively um, accepted that challenge and stepped aside and said, you know what? I've never been on the other side of the uh, table. I'm going to take a year off and give somebody else a chance. You so know, there's five or six people that did that, which is pretty cool. Is there any plans to grow? To we add did grow a little numbers. bit this year by less than 10. And uh, there is potential that we could rearrange some things and still hit our budget and grow a little bit more. But um, those are all yet to be decided. Right, right now, we needed to get those 200 people in that we've already notified. And then 250 people calling me on the phone saying, oh, come on, man. And, and we really like our layout right now, too. You know, we've, we've maximized the space that we've used in the park. Uh, we've used a, a similar layout for the last few years, and we're really happy with it. Uh, but we do have some other options uh, if we needed to go bigger or chose to, to go bigger. All right, so we're talking about a lot of the fun stuff, but when does the work actually start? So you have, you know, you're planning your big event, but when does the planning for the next event start? I can, I can tell you the best day of the year is the second Sunday in August for me, <laughs> okay? Because that's when your shoulders, and then this is an honest question, an honest answer. My shoulders come down. I get to finally have a beer. Uh, on that Sunday, and I get to clean the park, pick up the backs of temporary tattoos, cigarette butts, and all the other garbage that gets dropped at the event. But then I get to have brunch uh, with some of my best friends and say goodbye as people drive by, because literally dozens of brewers drive by on Sunday through the park just to look one more time on their way back to St. Louis, <laughs> their way back to Bourbonnet, their way back to Cleveland, and just to say goodbye because they know we're going to be there. So for me, A, the best be best day always, and that best beer is always on that Sunday um, because I can actually pay attention. But that's when the work starts for the next year because that's right. when the conversations start. It's Jason and Fred sitting outside a porta potty in a line going, what do you think worked this year? What do you think worked last year? Okay. What can we do different? Um, it is the conversations that we have right away within the next few weeks with the city and the police and saying, you know, how did we do? Um, what can we improve on? How much can we do better and and it's always this notion that we want to set the bar for every single beer festival in the midwest we want to set the bar for every beer festival in the country not only through the level that we pay people but um through the uh, the experience that we give them and we think that we can do that and that planning starts right away the next day it, it can even start during the event actually we're, we're communicating throughout the event of things that maybe aren't working as well as we planned and you know we're making mental notes um i'm also jotting down a lot of notes um, in my, you know, my, my support role in the last few years, I've taken a lot of notes 
of, of things that I've observed, things that I want to improve, uh, things that work great that we should keep doing. So, yeah, I mean, thinking about next year kind of starts, it's, it's kind of a continual process. And I think that's I think that's one of the things that's made our event so fine-tuned is that it, it's the incremental adjustments that we're making every year that everyone's trying to step up their game just a little bit better. You know, let's get people into the event just a little bit faster. Let's make ice delivery just a little bit faster. Let's, you know, all, all those spots. Let's make the food a little bit better. You know, all those, all those little things. Um, add up over 32 years to to the event that we've got. So, but I, I agree with Fred. You know, Sunday is a great day. My personal favorite actually is is Saturday evening uh, after after our patrons and most of our brewers have left the park, where I can hug my friends uh, who helped put on this festival. And there's a lot of relief that night. And we're still at the park. We're still kind of in post party mode. And I'm feeling really good that night. Um, just from from the efforts that we've put in and, and from seeing a lot of friends uh, and happy faces that day. So that, that's my favorite part, but I agree with Fred. Shut, shutting it down, locking the pavilion, uh, when we say goodbye after cleaning up zip ties and cigarette butts, and we've got a Boy Scout crew that comes in and helps us clean up on Sunday, bright and early Sunday morning, and uh, and a dedicated staff of volunteers and our, and our uh, staff members. It, it's, it's nice to lock up that pavilion and, and say goodbye and see you next year. So speaking of the every year to year, um, you guys do a different logo yep, for, for, the, for the festival every year. So why not just copy and paste that? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> what, is the, what, what is the process of doing that every year, kind of creating that and doing different glassware even, right? Well, I would yep. say the process is different when nobody is taking a salary and nobody's paid to put this on. And it's an entire volunteer effort. And you don't have to, you have to worry about a budget, but you don't have to worry about appeasing fill in the blank. So, for example, one of the things we take very seriously is that people collect these glasses, okay? And they put them on their shelves, and they piss their wives off by so many glasses, okay? And we, one time I've been called by a brewer's wife. Listen, men can have tchotchkes too, damn it. Absolutely. I totally agree. I have been called one time about one of our logos by a brewer's wife. And I I said, you've duly noted, but ma'am, you have too much time on your hands if you're offended by this one logo. Um, so the bottom line is we take that very seriously. For years, we partnered with Madison College in their graphics design group, and it was part of their senior project. Okay, And if you're telling a kid that can't drink yet that they can do for their senior project all the flat pieces, all the uh, set pieces for T-shirts, as well as something that fits on a glass, and they have to understand the event, that's a really cool senior project. <laughs> okay, So the dovetailing that we've done with those guys, and then as that has expanded, into okay who are the new marketing guys in town okay you know when we went to ray daniels down in chicago i mean some of the coolest stuff we've done with industry insiders and total outsiders you know people that have just started their careers and people that have been their careers forever people in the industry people outside of the industry one of our big things that we take very seriously is we're not a pint glass event um we are trying all the time to be a six ounce glass and under okay for obvious reasons and that's not to say pine glass events are bad or that events that have the exact same glassware are bad at the same time i don't want somebody coming into my event with a pre-drilled holder because the glass is the same every year okay and they brought the six glasses from the previous six years back and they're going around getting six pours one pour have a conversation get out of the way let the next guy in that's what we're trying to do yep and i, and I think that's part of what you know i think it's one of the things that people expect coming to our event they're they're 
excited to see what does the glass look like this year? You know, will it will it fit in my neck strap holder? <laughs> you know, they, they they want to adjust it ahead of time so they're not <laughs> losing any time during the festival. Uh, you know, the, I think the logo is part of that same thing where every year it's different. It it definitely makes more work on our end uh, because it, it kind of feels like we're reinventing the wheel every year as far as. The, the drinking vessel and the, and the artwork that we're going to use every year and and we've had that conversation of coming up with a with a standardized logo that we use from year to year uh, but it's one of the fun things that we do and that we do for our patrons that and I want my glassworks collection to be interesting every year and and annoy my wife and pour beers for my friends at home and I want those glasses to look different every year Absolutely. too so hey Jesus, I think the guiding principle that we use to, to kind of finish off that answer is that if it's easy, we're not going to look at that. That's no fun, right? Right, right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's the challenge. We rise to the challenge. And when you've got over 100 club members that are doing all these different components, and it's not just six organizers trying to figure this shit out, but there's 100 people, you can offload some of that, you know, looking at the glassware, looking at the design to other people, and then bring it back to a committee. You know, our first cut is, if it's easy, it's probably not where we want to be. Well, I'll tell you what, uh, one of the folks that I ran into last year was actually the young lady who came up with the glass design. And I, I'm not sure I've ever seen anybody more proud uh, to have their logo just all over the fest. Everybody's right. drinking out of her glass, everybody's wearing her t-shirts. She was absolutely ecstatic. Uh, is there any way that you can give us a little uh, preview? View of this year's glass is the uh, is the uh, is the logo already set or, or how how close to the festival um, it, do you guys come it, down with that? It, it, it is set. Uh, thank you for asking. It's a it's a recently set uh, piece of artwork. Uh, I don't have a copy with me to share with you guys, and uh, I'm sworn to secrecy, so I can't really tell you <laughs> what it's going to be like. You'll have to come uh, see us on August 11th. But we will tell you this: it is not plastic. <laughs> it is glass. It is six ounces and under. <laughs> it is roundish in nature okay <laughs> and unique artwork from and last the year unique artwork uh i think one of the coolest designs was the design from a couple years ago that if you looked at it really close and you looked at the negative space and the positive space one were one the positive space was brewing equipment the negative space was the skyline remember the red t-shirt and it was linear like that that to me was one of the most creative things we've done recently because that detail was amazing. And I will say the detail on this year's glass is awesome. No breaking news here. Heard it here first. It's <laughs> <laughs> a glass glass. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, I, I think uh, speaking of breaking, uh, I think it's a good time to take a little break and uh, refill our glasses here. But uh, we'll be back with the organizers of Great Taste of the Midwest and the Tap Takeover podcast. Be back after this. All right, we are back. So before we get into it, I guess we just want to talk about, during our break, we were discussing your volunteering aspect of the, the fest, but you are a nonprofit entity. So before we get into volunteering, what do the profits actually go towards? And can you tell us more about the volunteer efforts involved? Sure. We uh, we are a nonprofit or not-for-profit organization. So we're all in it just in, in it for the love of beer. Uh, we're not trying to, to make any, any money on this thing. The, the Great Taste helps provide, it because we are a home brew club uh, obviously it's the main driver along with our dues but by far and large our, our largest driver for the the club events that we do you know our, our, our brewing programs so that our members can get grain and hops 
to use for their home brewing and some other, you know, many other events uh, throughout the year. But we donate a significant, a significant amount of money to a lot of local organizations, charity organizations who help, you know, victims of domestic violence or uh, summer camps for, for, you know, disabled or special needs children, you know, a, a number of varieties, uh, you know, renter help, you know, folks who are, who are being evicted, we, we help them stay in their apartment. We, we work with a number of local of local charities, you know, in, the, in a couple dozens, I would say, each year. The Wart Radio uh, has been a long-time uh, supporter of, of the Madison Homebrewers and Tasters Guild and, and of the Great Taste of the Midwest. Actually, m- most of the volunteer efforts started out as Wart radio staff and volunteers from the radio station who were actually staffing for, for the Great Taste of the Midwest. And Many of those people are still, you know, on on the volunteer list today. It, so it, to put numbers to that, yeah, we are thirty to fifty thousand dollars a year over decades. So the impact that we've had in this city is phenomenal, and we make sure that we point that out to the city. We make sure that every year that it comes time to show our economic impact, we're not just an economic driver of people spending money in taverns and in restaurants or in hotels because there is a huge impact. We have a million plus dollar impact in just the event in bringing people into the city. But every year it's a minimum of thirty to $50,000 a year for many, 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 many years. And for us to be able to say we keep that money local, we actually funnel it back into anything from breast cancer awareness and uh, local charities that allow women to go through empowerment retreats to buying turkeys at Thanksgiving for families in need. Those are big things and very important to us. The other thing that's really important to us with regards to your question was the fact that we've got 600 plus volunteers that we are throwing at it. And WORT Community Radio was our first philanthropic group that we partnered with for the proceeds. Um, So when it comes to our longest tenured recipient, it is community radio, okay? So those are the guys that are, you know, constantly on the air, 24-7. They've got Hmong news. They've got Spanish news. They've got all the news that you don't get through conventional means, plus all the music and other things. So with that, I think the other thing that we lose sight of is the fact that the Great Taste of the Midwest wants to be, we want to set the rate for brewers getting paid for going to beer festivals. We want that to be a rising tide mentality. So we set our remuneration rate, our um, allotment for brewers such that we are A, not making a profit, B, there are no paid staff, and C, these guys can go back to any other you know beer festival anywhere in the Midwest and say, excuse me, no, I'm not going to give it to you for free because A, that isn't legal, but here's what I make going when I go to Madison. Okay, this is what they pay per hefter. So with that said, we want that story to get out because that rising tide should, you know, bring everybody up to a better level. So not only quality beer, but paying people for their time and talent. And what we pay doesn't come close to what it costs to staff a booth at the Great Taste. And we still overpay compared to any other beer festival. And, and that's a great point, Fred. When, when I tell people, either casual friends or, or close friends, that we buy all the beer for the Great Taste of the Midwest, they are shocked. Because they, they're, they're wondering, to, their, their questions to me is, how much does it cost a brewery to get into the Great Taste? And I say, we, they don't pay us. We, we buy the beer from them, and they are always amazed. It's by far our largest expense for, for, for the event, and so well worth it. Because, you know, Fred mentioned time and talent. You know, these men and women are rock stars, and we are paying them for 
that thing that they do so well that makes so many people happy and they bring their they bring all their special stuff you know i think that's one of the things that really makes uh, our event stand out is that they do bring those special release beers. They, they bring those one-offs. They, they bring the weird stuff uh, that they might have in their tap room, but we also have it in our park on the second Saturday in August. Right. So that's actually part of our, our mission statement as the Tap Taker for Podcasts is we like to focus on brewers being the rock stars that they are. And uh, it really shows at your festival as, as most of the head brewers slash owners show up to the event. Um, you were talking about how you guys uh, are different than most other beer festivals around the country. Now, you guys have a great relationship with the guys from GABF. How do you uh, differentiate yourselves from them? And uh, how do you guys work together as far as helping other beer festivals around the country? Let me back up to the beginning of your question there, Andy, because my big thing, our big thing has always been an particularly since we really focused in on what's going to make us different is you can only come to the great taste if you bring somebody that made the beer okay and we'd prefer it to be the head guy the head gal uh if not bring all of your assistants if somebody's got to be at a wedding that's fine but i don't want a bunch of marketing folks there i don't want anybody from your distributor there i want the guy that made it the gal that made it behind the table because we have people that want to ask you questions okay so that is a that is a non-starter if you are not going to agree to that right and we want someone on the other end of that table to answer those questions authoritatively because their hands were on those hops you know they they milled in grain into that batch they put it into the barrel they added the cucumbers or orange peels you know to the firkin so we we want we want to know where those orange peels came from and and they're the people who actually did it so they know i think that stands out because our patrons do ask these questions you can hear them throughout the day these questions are asked all day long and because the breweries are bringing the brewers who know the answers to those questions you know our, our our patrons leave satisfied as well absolutely one of the things that we want people to know when they go up to that table and that doesn't mean you can't bring your servers it doesn't mean you can't bring your owner but the bottom line is at some point in time if i cycle back in the five hours that were open and i've got that question i want to be able to ask the right person okay this isn't the kiwanis or the lions pouring me a beer these are the guys that have skin in the game and that's not to be smirch much those other events that have that but the bottom line is we put on a different event and we're at that level where we can where we can it's not making demands but we can ask and require and cajole for that to happen the other thing that needs that i don't think our general patron really knows necessarily but there is this there is this esprit de corps in the industry these are guys that fight for shelf space but are friends at the end of it all okay these are guys that call each other up and say dude i so am out of mosaic hops Okay, can I run down, can what, you know, I need to borrow a ladder, anything. Okay, this is still an, a, a very collegial industry. So these guys, many of them, look at the great taste and they see each other once a year. So they come around, they're like, oh my God, that time that you're open for the VIP hour, that's just us brewers and a few volunteers walking around and it is awesome because that is like Christmas day for us. <laughs> because I see a guy, I see him once a year and I see him here. He used to be my assistant brewer. This is a guy that used to be across the bar and now he owns his own place. These are the guys I see once a year. And what we're trying to do with a great taste is that, you know, when it opens, it's to us it's Christmas Day. We're putting on Christmas Day. And Christmas Day doesn't happen on the twenty third. 
and it doesn't happen on the 26th unless you're a kid of divorce, okay? But <laughs> it happens once a damn year, and that's these guys take that very seriously, and we take that seriously. When we're inviting you into our house, we're not only inviting you in for a meal and we're going to share some speaks, but this is Christmas Day. We're all going to, you know, we're all going to share a beverage. We're going to have some convos, and we're going to actually sit around and talk to each other, and we're going we're, we're gonna to make this an even more special day. To get to the second part of your question. Can I interrupt for just a second, Fred? And I and I think that time before we let in, you know, our patrons when, when the front gates open, that's the family reunion of of the brewers where they, they are seeing the, the folks that they have worked with at, uh, at other breweries or at the brewery that they're, that they're still at. Um, and it's time for them to network. And they get to, you know, let their hair down, relax a little bit before the, you know, the calm before the storm. And, and they can really socialize and, and see old friends. You know, they, these might be people that, you know, from St. Louis and from Cincinnati and from Fargo and from Chicago. And they get to see each other once a year because they might not be making the trip to a lot of other festivals as brewers. But they come to our event, and so that's the time that they get to see each other, too. And I'll tell you what, I think we've seen that firsthand. We've been to a number of different festivals, you know, with the podcast and just on our own. And we've seen uh, the festivals where they they pay a little less. And, you know, you'll see an impact. You'll see a lot more brewery reps and a lot of volunteers. And we definitely see it on your end. There's a lot more brewers showing up. We've also seen the the camaraderie among those brewers. I mean, to put it in brewery terms, a, a lot of brewers, they are at odds with each other for that shelf space. But they're also... So there's a bit of a fraternity, a bit of a brotherhood, you know, a sisterhood. There's, you know, a lot of folks coming together to help each other out. Do you need a cup of hops? You know, that kind of stuff. Uh, tell us about the camaraderie among Beer Fest. Can you tell us about uh, your, your connection with GABF and, and what, what that kind of means to you guys? To me, uh, one of the coolest parts in my life was, you know, I've got uh, two children, 26 and 24 years old. I have never been to the GABF, but I've hosted them for well over 10 years. My daughter lives in Denver, and she made it to the GAB, the GABF before I ever have. And she's texting me from the GABF while I'm pouring for a friend of mine at the Quivy's Grill Beer Festival with my wife. And I'm like, man, if this isn't the world's largest fungu in some ways, you know, my kid is. And then, and then because she's been born into this beer festival, she's like, Dad, here's the first thing I realized. You know what's great about the great taste, and you don't realize it until you go to an indoor beer festival. She said the great, the great thing about the great taste, and the great thing about beer festivals is nobody begrudges you if you pour a beer out. Okay, I think people have this notion because we're Wisconsin nice that we should drink everything and and, and treat each other fairly. It's really hard to pour a beer out on concrete at the GABF, <laughs> and there are no damn beer dump buckets. At, at our event, you can pour it out wherever you want. And she that was what my kid took away from that event, and I love that. And I love the fact that we can, we can bring folks in from that event that is a very, very large event, and they're very, very focused on their infrastructure, and they've got paid staff in the whole nine yards. And the first thing that they notice is camaraderie, and the first thing they notice is relationships, and the first thing they notice is what we do do differently than anybody else. I walk around and I'm a hugger. I am constantly saying welcome home to everybody. I'm constantly hugging my friends. We are constantly making people feel comfortable. That is what's different. And the GABF doesn't begrudge 
just that. They just noticed it, okay? And what I hope to notice this year, because I'm going out in October, sleeping in my daughter's apartment on the floor, (laughs) (laughs) is the fact that I better be treated really nice. Um, But I'm expecting to see something very different, but not different in a bad way, just different. They are a thing that we are not. They are a competition. They are a celebration of the industry. They are a celebration of awards. They are a celebration of the largesse. We are, like I said, we're like Christmas Day, okay? You you know, y'all can be whatever you are. We've defined ourselves very differently for very different reasons, neither good nor bad. And I actually attended my first GABF last fall, um, and I had a great time. You know, I. So uh, you're better than Fred. <laughs> uh, yes. No, 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 no. Uh, but but my wife and I went out, and and we had a great time. We had a great time exploring Denver and 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 peripheral, you know, Golden and, and Boulder, and and trying a lot of the local beers. Uh, but we really enjoyed, the, you know, the festival, and it was, you know, fr- from an organizer's standpoint, it was a really unique position for me to be in, uh, walking around a beer festival, especially one of that size, and knowing so few of the breweries. You know, walk, literally walking up to a brewery because I like the name of the beer or, or the name of a brewery or their logo, you know, sort of, you know, what might catch your eye in a liquor store. And, and that's the, kind of the approach I had going into that festival because I wasn't seeing my friends like I do at the, at the Great Taste or breweries that I'm familiar with from the Midwest. But I was, you know, we were all over the place and it really, you know, exposed me to a lot of different beers. And, uh, you know, we had a great time, but it's a, it's a very different event. Um, you know, Fred mentioned the awards, you know, the, those are the gold medals that, that these brewers are bragging about. You know, that's those are the ones you see on commercials. Those are the ones you see, you know, in in their tap room that they're they're really proud of, and they and they should be. You know, these these are major bragging rights, and I don't know how many of our brewers brag about the table design award, but I'm I'm sure they do. But you know, I think I think like. Fred mentioned. I think it's it's coming home for them, and I think I think there's that that sense of 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 we're back rather than we're we're there to 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 win a medal, uh, which is obviously a very por- important part of the beer industry and and help helps their you know brand recognition and their and their product uh, you know move move on shelves and, and advertisements. But you know we we throw a party, and that's that's really where uh, the great taste distinguishes itself. The breweries come to show off yes. at your festival. They bring their rarest, their best, their multiple award winning. At GABF, you get that year's award winner. At Great Taste, you get multiple years, possibly at the same booth. Uh, how did that come out to be? And, and what are some of your favorites? I, I, I will say unequivocally, I get this question dozens, if not close to 100 times every year, mostly from new breweries. And I, I answer it the same way every time. And it's always, you know, this is my first year. Either I got in, you picked me, or suddenly I'm going to be there and I've never been there before. And I'm always, I always say the same thing. I don't care what you bring. You bring what you can talk about, what you're most proud of. If that's an English mild, bring that English mild. Because you will be impassioned when you're having that question answered and you're actually explaining to somebody on the other side of the table. Bring what you like. Bring what you drink at your place. I don't want I don't want fourteen hundred barrel aged beers there. Okay, we're not Fobab. I don't want fourteen hundred cream ales there. I want what you love, what you are so proud of. And people are like, really, dude? My English mild is freaking awesome. Yes. <laughs> there are, even in brewers' minds, there's this notion that it's kind of go big or go home. You know, for great taste, not at all. 
It's what do you like that you made? That's all I care about. That's the answer to the question. That's how we ask you to fill your booth, okay? We ask you to bring the equivalent of three half barrels. Uh, If you're smart, you don't bring three half barrels because they're heavy, okay? You can bring (laughs) the equivalent in six barrels, okay? Much lighter. Um, And and that's really where it it stems from. You know, bring some variety. Bring things you're proud of. Bring things that were award-winning. You know, the Great Dane will, you know, just kill it with 30 beers every year because they save stuff and there are tons of brewers that just save stuff and they're like nope 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 this this goes in the corner it gets buried they don't dig it up again until august when they're going to drive away and it's that sixth barrel that stuck was stuck in a corner that little pin that little firkin and people saved it for us and that is that is an honorific to us and that is something that we take very seriously we are so excited when people do that because that happens hundreds and hundreds of times at great taste and and we're not afraid of of the brewers going big either you know i think my a couple of my my favorites is seeing you know Goose Island show up with their single barrel versions of their of their Bourbon County Stout. When you can get a Bourbon County Stout Asian Heaven Hill barrel or Buffalo Trace barrel, and they're different. Uh, to me, that's really that's really cool. Uh, and a couple years ago, for our thirtieth anniversary, Dark Horse showed up with thirty beers. Holy man. right, thirty uh, beers one. from one fantastic. brewery, <laughs> and they were all on. All day. That sounds like episode three of the Tap Takeover. (laughs) There was three entrances to their booth. (laughs) Right. It was three three entrances. They they didn't they didn't pull any special release beers. They didn't have any timed release beers. It was all on when the gates opened. All thirty of those taps were flowing, and they were on until they were empty. And I I so appreciated that that effort and that you know that that pat on the back and that thank you to us that they would bring 30 beers for a 30th anniversary. They recognized the milestone. We didn't ask them to bring 30 beers. They they brought 30 beers. And the fact that they had them all on tap at the same time, you know, I know I went there a couple t- a few times <laughs> just <laughs> because I wanted to try each entrance, you know, like what are you excited about? And I that was my approach every time. I didn't I would ne- I never went there with a beer in mind. I handed my glass to one of the brewers and said, pour me what you're excited about. And at the same time, to finish up, Jim, with your, we take ourselves so not seriously in so many ways that just the placement of brewers is important to us. So if you come to me and say, I'm going to bring Dark Lord, that's great. But if somebody else from another state says, I'm going to bring a beer that I made called Dork Lard, well, then I'm going to put you <laughs> right next to Dark Lord. And you two sons of bitches fight it out. Okay? And they end up having this great time because it's just irreverent. Okay, if you're in lawsuits with each other, you damn well better expect to be next to each other. Okay, get along. This is a party. Um, and to be honored with the, the first of, the first of, the first of. First, bur- first bourbon barrel aged beer at a beer festival was Bourbon County Stout. Okay, at our event. First time it ever came out of Goose Island. We could have an entire beer festival of just guys that used to brew at Goose Island. Okay? We can start an entire event on <laughs> Sunday. Oh, yeah. These are the guys that used to be there. The coaching line yes. or the brewery right. line coming out of I mean, Goose there's is so amazing. many firsts and so many difference and so many kind of one-offs. That's that's where we kind of, you know, when Cunin comes and they bring these massive Jeroboams of stuff that they brewed just for the toast before the event even happened to just drink with us, you did what? Yeah, well, dude, this isn't for anybody else. It's just for you organizers that, like, are in our way, and you're usually in front of our booth taking a picture. So why don't we just drink together? We brewed this for your 30th. We brewed this for your 25th. We brewed this for your 20th. There's some really cool things that just happen organically, and I think mostly it's because of the way we treat people. 
So uh, let me ask you a fun question here. Uh, you guys have been at this for 32 years now. You guys have seen a, a massive number of beers pass through this beer fest. Uh, we usually like to ask our brewers uh, if you could take over the taps on the Tap Takeover podcast, which uh, which of your beers would you kind of put on tap? I'd like to kind of turn that to you guys and say, in the years that you guys have been doing this, you've seen some amazing beers. If you could take uh, three taps apiece and throw some of your favorite beers from over the years on those taps. What have uh, would have been some of the best beers that you've had at the festival? Well, the the one that's the the one that stands out for me the most that I was running around before the event telling all of my friends, all the club members, my new best friend that I just ran into, random strangers <laughs> before the event was Coonan's Creme Brulee Java Stout. I, I will take a small sliver of credit for helping spread the word on that beer because I told literally everybody I saw when I first tried that beer that that beer was outstanding. It left a real impression on me. And so it tickled me a few years ago when they brought that beer and put it in a slushy machine. It took a while to get that iced up because it's a sturdy beer. Uh, but I loved I loved the whimsy and the the crazy idea that they would have of making a slushed version of a creme brulee Java Stout, and I, they, you know that that was just kind of a funny bookend I think to that story and my experience with that beer. I I would say that um, the beers that stand out for me are the folks that come with no intention of ever being in Madison and ever putting their beer on shelves or getting any traction in the state of Wisconsin. And to have for almost 30 years Schlafly come up to our event because they've become friends, um, to have Blind Pig come up over and over again. I will tell you the beer that just stopped me in my tracks that uh, blew me away was the first goose at the great taste it was from joe's brewery in champagne the predecessor to blind pig just absolutely knocked my socks off and it was even better and they kind of started the whole booth decorating thing because they bought they brought a gargoyle and then they drilled through the gargoyle and they ran a beer hose through it <laughs> so that in order to get the goose which was the first time i think we in the midwest had ever seen a goose on tap at a beer festival you had to pet the yeah the pet the gargoyle okay and then you got some goose so that one blew me away that's a steep entry point right there that is a yeah. Steep yeah pet the gargoyle yes you know and then there's just Big so friend. many stupid crazy things that come up every year there's a there's a beer that just blows people away that even the beer geeks um, in a million years would never say if you just wrote it down that this is the beer style I would say most people would go meh okay so the year that somebody brought and then now it's becoming a thing again 20 years later they brought bloody beer okay tasted just like a, a stinking bloody mary okay now that's Zwanzig's out of uh, Columbus Indiana that blew me away and anytime you send somebody over there they just laugh and they're like okay yeah that's stupid good um, <laughs> am I going to drink a six pack of it probably not but that's stupid good at a beer festival when you get somebody that makes beer that tastes like uh, suntan oil okay and you got chocolate <laughs> peanut butter chocolate coconut porters and crazy stuff like that you know and Kapawi you know from uh, you know from the guys down in Fort in Wisconsin becomes a thing, you know, a couple years ago at the Great Taste. Those to me are things that I want to celebrate on that day because they're the things that nobody expected would hit the mark. I mean, you always expect something from the big boys to, to hit. But then these little guys come in and they make this crazy ass beer and then somebody goes, hold on, wait, there's something going on here. This is well crafted. It's silly. I might dr not drink a pint of it, but this is really stupid good. 
Those are the ones to answer your question. Which are the ones that stick out for me? And, First goons I've can, ever had. Oh my god, yes. Pedagargo, you bet. And you can tell <laughs> when there's a buzz at the festival. Uh, people oh. are talking immediately when uh, somebody tastes something good. Word gets around very quickly. Going back to like just memories of the festival. What are your favorite memories? Not just beer, but just memories of just good times that you have were had throughout my, the years. My favorite is is every year somebody looks at that this guy named Fred and I I know him <laughs> and they're, and they're he like, looks like he looks really like you, that's or? that's uh, you want to do what and, and and I usually I'm usually the guy that's more receptive than some most um, to crazy ideas. So the one that just blew me away was when a brewery made a half barrel boat and had a grill on said half-barrel boat, launched it from Law Park, made it all the way over to the Great Taste, and then took their first keg off that boat, and four guys with long poles and no shirts and loincloths dragged it to their table, okay? And they literally made a boat, floated it. It was seaworthy. I mean, are you kidding me? That's a really good one. There's a brewery in O'Connor. We do not condone do water not entries condone into, water the into the Great Taste or water exits, I might point a out. Water exits. I, there's, there's been many years I've, I've <laughs> toyed around with the notion that the first keg ought to drop in from the sky. <laughs> and then people start to explain the physics of that to uh, said school teacher, Fred. Um, and the fact that if that goes awry, that's really bad. And we probably won't get insured for that. The one that blew me away was, and this is just, you know, where it's just stupid. And you realize, okay, that was a dumb idea. Uh, there was a brewery over in Oconomowoc. J.K. Watson back in the day. Does that ring a bell for anybody? You guys might all be too young, but they were one of the first brew pubs in Wisconsin, and they sponsored a stock car. And their big thing was, you know what? We have a race over near Madison. Can we bring our driver in the car that we sponsor? Can we park it on the grounds? And can we talk about it? Sure, says the idiot, okay, behind (laughs) this microphone and this voice. Until he has to leave during the middle event at 3 o'clock, and I foolishly put him on a hillside, and he's got tire slicks, okay? And he can't get out, okay? And if you know anything about the sound level of a stock car, okay, he oh, just geez. lights this thing up. There's smoke everywhere. His wheels are spinning. People are looking at me going, hey, asshole, get the stock car out of here. And we can't move it until like four or five of us start to push this thing out. Those are the stories that resonate forever that nobody knows from behind the scenes. You know, when, when Goose Island shows up with an entire band and we don't have a permit for amplification and they start playing and then pretty soon the city comes knocking on the door. So, I mean, those, those are the faux pas that you'll laugh about later, okay, but, but are fun in the moment, even fun in the moment. You're just like, whatever, this isn't too serious. We'll figure it out. Any epic stories, Jason? Yeah, my, my favorite story is weather-related. Uh, so it was, the, it was the first year that we had uh, set up tents, uh, you know, farmer's market pop-up tents at the front gate, you know, trying to make it an official entrance. And it had been raining all night long, hard. And when I showed up at the park on Saturday morning, all four of those tents were absolutely in shreds. Bent metal, completely torn tarps. They, they quickly found their way into the dumpster. But it, it continued to rain all, all morning long. Uh, stopped raining at 12.45. So 15 <laughs> minutes before the gates opened to the festival. Oh, my God. Right. And the, the timing seemed almost too perfect. And I, th- this is a time when I was uh, in charge of the front gate. And I'm looking at my phone and looking at the radar and the weather forecast and said, well, it looks like it's going to rain again around 5 o'clock. The event goes till 6. Sure enough, 5 o'clock, was, I think it was 5.03. <laughs> the sky is absolutely unloaded. Hard rain. Some people weren't running under the under the tents for cover. A lot of people didn't really care. They were. They, it was late enough in the event that they were just like, you know, I'm going to get wet anyway. So they so they just went for it. Soon after that, 
you know, I, I transitioned back to the front gate to help people navigate the way out. And because it had been raining, that's the slight downgrade of, of the front gate was essentially a slip and slide. So as I'm gingerly walking down in my kilt, reminding people, careful, everybody, it's really slippery. Be careful. It's really, whoop! And I went down <laughs> on my... You just go ass I, over I, I right there? I, I did. I went down on my ass in a kilt on the slip and slide grass on the way out of the festival. <laughs> oh, man. Barely picked myself up, brushed off a little mud, and kept about my business. But... Um, <laughs> Yeah, so even even in the rain, we still have a good time. So Great Taste in itself is a fantastic event. But Thank now you. there has become Great Taste Eve leading into the night before where, you know, you have the brewers coming in, getting set up, you know, getting to their hotels. And now you have fantastic events across Madison. Uh, how did that start to happen? How did that actually start? And, uh, I, w- I would say we'll take complete and 100% credit for all craft beer weeks <laughs> across the country. Those all generated and came from uh, us. Uh, we are ground zero, patient zero. No, um, it, we actively sought those out initially. Bruce and myself, uh, the liaisons, you know, 10, 12 years ago, were actively pushing brewers. It's one thing to come on a Saturday and drive six to eight hours to get here. It's another to come on a Thursday, put on an event on Friday, okay, and make it a little more worthwhile. If you're coming from the South, everybody stops at New Glarus anyways, okay? So let's make it more than just stopping in New Glarus on Friday. What if you guys stop on Thursday, okay, and then come up and do a tap takeover, do a dinner, you know, do something at Maduro, do something at Argus, do something at Tipsy Cow, and then all of a sudden we stopped having to organize it. And it's never a been, we've always defined ourselves as the Midwest, okay? And people argue that certain breweries that we have in in certain states are not in the Midwest. Until you help us organize, you don't get to decide what the Midwest is. <laughs> but uh, once that is defined, uh, Friday is not that. Okay, Friday is, is about beer. Thursday is about beer. Now there's Wednesday events. Those are all about beer. You guys can take it over. What I loved was when Three Floyds did a collaboration with Sam out of Dogfish Head, and he came in and did an event at the Big Ten Pub in Madison. And he did a tap takeover with Dogfish Head, and he kept saying, I'm sorry, but I'm not from the Midwest. You know, is this okay? Is this okay? Dude, this is about your beer. It's about good beer. You get to highlight it. And the minute that he showed up, because he didn't show up right at 1 o'clock, he showed up when Three Floyds tapped this collaboration beer. You could see the buzz in the crowd when somebody that did a collaboration showed up and somebody of Sam's magnitude from Dogfish Head showed up, it was kind of a feather in our cap and we felt really good about that. And we feel real good about the opportunities that we can provide any brewer. It doesn't matter if you're even from this country, okay? You know, let's get some Japanese brewers over here and just rock this thing at Tavernakaya on Friday night. Let's do this. <laughs> you know, our big thing is we'll give you the venue to do it. We will put it on our website. We'll tell people where it's all happening. Okay, the epicenter tends to be right off the square, but this stuff goes all the way from Sun Prairie down to Rona out to Oregon, you know, down to New Glarus. It's all over Dane County. It's a, it's a great way to get warmed up for for Saturday too. As long as you as long as you keep it in check, right? <laughs> you don't want to you don't want to overdo yourself on Friday night or Thursday for that matter. But it, it's also been a great way for folks who weren't fortunate in the lottery or, or weren't able to get in line and, and get tickets themselves that you know they they can get at least a sliver you know of the event by by being downtown in Madison. You know our. You know our our capital city. They they can be downtown right off the off the Capitol Square and enjoying beers with thousands of other beer geeks who are super excited about what's to come the next day and are really excited about what's happening right now with tap takeovers with with the dinners. It's taken on a life of its own and it's just it's just added to the excitement and, and the and, and the event that that we put on and and now it's it's kind of taken on a life of its own. 
one of the big things that we have is as far as a big event that's for industry insiders, that's for a lot of the brewers that come. The guys that applied beverage technologies out of Chicago take over the Children's Museum. And it's an industry insider thing. And there's 10 breweries that aren't the great taste that are on our wait list that go there because they bought tanks and equipment from ABT. Okay. And uh, that to us is a, is a big thing. If those guys are willing to make this, and this is what I think the typical patron also doesn't understand, is that we've got the hop guys at the great taste. We've got the glassware guys. We've got the marketing guys. We've got the grain guys. We've got guys coming around and spending money to be in front of you for a couple minutes to just introduce themselves. And then when we've got ABT taking over and you can go down there and talk to those guys about, uh, you know, about hard goods, you know, and equipment, that's also, there's an element of the great taste for brewers that is a trade show. And we, right. don't, we don't take that lightly. We're trying to make one more reason for you to be here. And it's not just a party. This is a trade show and a convention at some, at some level as well. So as we wind down this episode, um, we'd like to mention that this year we are covering uh, the great taste of the Midwest. Um, and we are going to open it up on our Facebook page. And hopefully friend Jason can help us out on theirs too as to any listener questions, any breweries yep. you'd like to see us hit. Uh, and then we'll, we'll weigh them and we'll, we'll figure something out on which ones we're going to hit. Um, and as we come to a close, I'd just like to ask you guys to finish out um, as the organizers, what uh, special place in your heart does great taste of the Midwest hold? And anything else you'd like to convey it to your patrons and our listeners? Well, I, I, I'd like to thank all, you know, my predecessors for the the blood, sweat, and tears that have gone into to being a chairman for, for the event. Um, we have a great volunteer staff. But I, I've, I've met so many great, very close personal friends uh, through the Madison Homebrewers and Tasters Guild and through running the, the Great Taste of the Midwest that it's hard to imagine my life and my circle uh, without this event. Uh, it's, it's become a big part of my life. You know, I, I see those brewers once a year, maybe twice a year. I see those friends. It all just comes full circle. It's it's just a celebration of, of the great beers that we enjoy, and it's a great time to see friends, again, like a family reunion. For me, it's really unique in the fact that uh, every year I get to explain to my wife why we do this dumbass event on our anniversary. <laughs> because we got married on August 10th, long before, because I'm really gray white-haired and um, <laughs> never expecting that I would ever <laughs> look at the second Saturday in August as something I did with a bunch of dudes and putting on a beer festival that is totally not focused on my wife. <laughs> so I get to gift her into the great taste most years, either on the day before, the day after, you know, right around our anniversary. And it's become this running joke now with these brewers, okay, because they know this story. And these guys have become friends. I mean, this isn't, we put on an event that is first and foremost couched on relationships and trust and friendship and open and honest communication, not on cash flow, not on a business model, not on capitalism. It is me hugging you and saying, welcome home and saying, we are friends. You have my word that this is going to work out okay. And once that gets through, people are like, hey, where's Beth? Because I got to talk to her about you and, and, you know, say happy anniversary. And it becomes this thing that doesn't happen anywhere else. So for us, for Beth and I, it is a big, big deal that, uh, you know, not so much for her. But for me, it's a really big deal <laughs> to have my anniversary with a bunch of friends. And we get to do something totally different. So that, to me, is what I look back on. And I look back on the fact that I've now got... 200 slash 450, if you count the wait list, friends that I feel obligated to putting on a really good event on behalf of. Well, uh, this will be our first time uh, covering the event, uh, hopefully not our last, but uh, we are looking forward to our first hugs from you, Fred, uh, so as we walk in that <laughs> gate. I hug too, by the way. All right. Okay. Uh, second hug, actually. A little awkward when we met. Yeah. 
Uh, so, Jason and Fred, thank you guys so much for uh, for having us. Thank you for our host at uh, at Ale Asylum here for uh, for hosting us. Uh, this has really been a fun experience uh, hearing about the the fun stories uh, behind the event and and all the work that goes into it. Uh, you guys said it was what six hundred volunteers. Right. It, yep. It's an army of volunteers that put this event on, and we just want to shine a little spotlight on those guys. But for now, uh, it looks like we're out of beer uh, until the fest. <laughs> so uh, we're gonna we're gonna call it. Uh, for now but uh, for me for alex i'm jim jesus this is andy jason and fred cheers guys cheers cheers this has been a solid non-fail production oh,